0: Welcome to the Harbor Church podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Well, hello, Harbor Church. How's everybody doing? It is going to be a different kind of weekend. I know, um, I, I know we've had a lot of fun in this series tonight, uh, this weekend, this uh, entire, uh, this this whole thing going into this weekend's message has been a fun build-up, but it is such a heavy movie. And then we're also met with some of the heaviness that's going on in our world that, uh, man, I just enjoyed having worship with you and just thinking for a second. I was standing in the back, uh, speaking with one of our ushers, John, and I said, man, can you believe that we just get to do this? We get to do this. It's it's powerful, and man, I'm so thankful that you're here I'm so thankful that we have the freedom that we can gather like this. So thank you. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for watching. If you're tuning in online, maybe you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube or listening to this on the podcast. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor, and I'm I'm just, man, I'm just excited. I'm thrilled that we get to do this together. We get to hang out and... Uh, do a movie series i've never got to do i've never been able to do a movie series as a pastor and so this is our first time at harbor really doing one like this and uh, i've really enjoyed it we've had some fun ones we did aladdin and we did the greatest showman in ford versus ferrari we did black panther last week and this week this week we're doing a very very true story so half the movies that we've done have been fictional and half of them have been true stories and as far as true stories go This weekend, the true story is, man, it is a powerful, powerful story. If you've never seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, it is the story of a uh, young man named Desmond Doss. And uh, Desmond Doss was a uh, uh, soldier in the Army uh, during World War II. And uh, he had, uh, man, he had a lot of stuff that he had to overcome. But the man was a man of faith. And part of his faith, part of Desmond's belief as a Christian, was he felt that uh, he wasn't supposed to take life when he read the commandments and God said, thou shalt not kill. Um, God convicted him in a way uh, that uh, very few felt, but he, he was so moved by that that he didn't even want to pick up a gun. He still felt like he had a, a, a job, a duty uh, to his country. And so he, um, he said, I, I want to serve and I want to serve without carrying a gun. And uh, he met a lot of obstacles for that. Most soldiers don't want somebody on their team that's not carrying a gun. A lot of his fellow soldiers didn't even want him serving with them. They called him a coward. They called him a misfit. One of his own men uh, actually famously once said, when we get to Okinawa, I'll make sure you don't come home. I faced a lot. They just, they just thought he was a coward. They thought his refusal to carry a gun meant that they were going to be in danger. Little did they know that he was so committed to saving lives Desmond Doss, the true story of Desmond Doss, is he is the first conscientious objector to ever win the Medal of Honor. The first person to ever win the Medal of Honor that didn't carry a gun. Abraham Lincoln instituted the Medal of Honor back in 1861, and on the 100-year anniversary of the Medal of Honor in 1961, all of the Medal of Honor recipients picked Desmond Doss to represent them, to go in and talk to John F. Kennedy about it. And that's just how famous Desmond became, because during one battle in his life uh, on Okinawa, he was in several battles, but one of the bloodiest battles of the Pacific, the bloodiest battle of the Pacific, um, he served. And one of the things that, uh, one of the objectives that uh, they had to take was this Special plateau overlooking some really steep cliffs that became nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge. It was so bloody and so gruesome, and the Japanese held on to it fiercely. Desmond and his unit, they went up and they fought, and several times they were repelled. As a matter of fact, seven different times they conquered and then got repelled back. And during one of those, everybody retreated and left except for Desmond. He was the only one that stayed behind. And he stayed because he knew that there were men dying. And without a gun, he faced the entire enemy by himself to go grab wounded. And they know that at least 75 men were rescued by Desmond Doss. Very powerful story. Very, very cool story. I believe it's that kind of, man, it's that kind of desire to serve love for your fellow man and especially in desmond's case a commitment to his faith that gave him not only that mission and that purpose but allowed for such an amazing story and such a motivating story to take place it's it was such a rough environment it's hard for anybody to believe that the story is true mel gibson i think we have a quote do you have that quote for me Mel, mel gibson uh Works. Maybe not. It doesn't surprise me. (laughs) It doesn't work. It's fine. Mel Gibson said, he's the director of this movie. He said he made uh, this battlefield, and we'll see a few scenes from it uh, this weekend. Uh, He made this battlefield look as gruesome as he could to go with the reports that were filed by both sides. The Japanese soldiers and the American soldiers both told how ugly and gruesome it was. He, he says, it also highlights, talking about the battlefield, it also highlights what it means for a man with conviction, talking about why he made this movie, to go into a situation that is hell on earth, that reduces most men to the level of animals. In the midst of that maelstrom, this man, talking about Desmond Doss, is able to hone his, his spirituality into something higher, above war, above religion, and above everything. He goes in and he performs acts of love in the midst of hell. Which is the beauty of this story, and it's the pinnacle, pinnacle of heroism. Well, that was a really cool statement by Mel Gibson about Desmond Doss, about what it was he did, and about what it was he faced. And so I want us to get into that. But um, I feel, I just feel heavy on my heart that as we talk about a movie about someone's heroism and the sacrifice they're making, um, that we also don't just take a second and um, just recognize some of the heaviness that's going on. Um, I know some of you heard about some of the uh, bombs that were uh, set off in Afghanistan, some of the soldiers that we lost already today, um, and more that they think will be coming, as well as the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan right now unable to freely meet just like we are right now, and yet they're willing to do it in the face of the Taliban knowing that it'll probably cost them their life. Let's pray right now before we move on to the message, because I believe God has something for us. But if the church of Christ, if the, the brothers and sisters who claim Jesus as their Savior can't rally around the world and pray for those that are in need, then who will? So why don't we take a second and let's just pray. Let's ask God to show us something uh let's ask him to show us something today that he'd have for us but let's also ask him to be with those that are hurting those that are being persecuted those that are standing in the gap on our behalf defending freedom let's just ask god to bless in all of those areas would you pray with me dearly father lord god we come to you and we thank you for what it is you've given us you've given us freedom and you've given us love god you've given us grace you've given us your mercy Lord, you use humans all over the world to display that mercy, that love, that grace. You've given us the opportunity to tell people about you, to share what it is you've done in our lives, and so we thank you for that. And God, we recognize in this moment right now that we have it so easy compared to many others. God, there are some right now that it has cost them their life. They're living in danger right now just trying to tell people about Jesus, just because of their belief in you. So God, we ask that you would protect them, that you would help them, Lord, that you would give them courage. God, that you would uh, just put your mercy, your hand on them. And Lord, would you be with our soldiers, the men and women that are defending, the men and women that are standing up against what is wrong. God, we ask that you would bless them, care for them, be with the families of those who lost loved ones. God, be with those that are hurting. Lord, I know that uh, the world is a chaotic and broken place. And that sin was not your plan, but the consequences is what we see today. So, God, I ask that you would help, that you would intervene. And, Lord, that you would be with those uh, that need it so desperately. And would you use the people under the sound of my voice to be a light in a dark world, to be a truth, to be just a little beacon of hope for those that we come into contact with. Lord, help us. We ask this and we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. As I said, the movie is quite powerful, and normally I would save the coolest scene, the most potent, powerful scene, the most uh, influential scene for the very end. But I want you to understand what it is that Desmond Doss did. If we're going to understand how he did it, I want you to see what it is he did. So we've kind of meshed a few of the scenes, the best scenes from the movie, to just kind of explain a little bit about his heart. Watch this. Watch what a a Medal of Honor recipient did. Watch what a real man did in a real war. Hollywood doesn't even touch it, but I hope you'll lean in and, and just get a little bit out of this, and then we'll come and we'll talk about it. I don't know of a scene in a movie that has ever exemplified the mission of a Christian better than that one. Every time I see it, I can't help but just think about somebody who would say, God, it is, it is hell out there right now. And all I need is your strength to go get one more. Yeah. To have something burning inside of you so much that when everybody else leaves, you go the other direction. When everybody else runs, you say, I've got to face that. To see a mission on somebody's life, and that was true, if you watch the movie at the end, the real Desmond Das gives a, an interview, and he says, I just wanted to get one more. Just, let me just save one more. And I read the scriptures, and I see people who give their life in hopes that one more person would know the truth. And I see the parallels. This man, because of his faith in God, faced incredible odds. There were other medics, sure. There's never been, there had never been a medic that refused to carry a gun to protect himself. He said, the only protection I have is my faith and my Bible. <laughs> and that's what he went in with. There's been times where, as a pastor, I've wanted to give up. I've wanted to do something else. And it was always the potential that there was one more that needed know the gospel and when you figure out who that one more is for you there might be one more that you've been praying for there might be one more person that that God wants to use you to impact their life you might be the one more that somebody else has been praying for here right now in this moment God hasn't come back that means there's at least one more person he wants to see come to know him And if that's you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, that's the most important decision you can ever make to put your faith there. And if you've already done that, and I would imagine I'm preaching to a, a lot of people who, have ar- who would say they've already put their faith in Christ, then you have the same mission that Desmond Doss did. You have the exact same mission to go get one more. If you're still breathing, you're still this side of the dirt, then God's got one more person for you to go influence, one more person for you to go reach. And if you reach that person and you don't die, then you've got one more. And you've got one more. And if the people listening to me right now would have the kind of heart that would say, God, use me to get one more. God, would you use me today for one more? Well, pastor, you don't know how hard it is to be a believer in my family, to be somebody of faith at my workplace, to to step out and to share the gospel with somebody. uh, You don't have any clue what it's like. You're right. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that God says that he'll give you the power and the strength to serve him in that capacity. And then you can sit there in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the fear, in the middle of the struggle and say, God, give me one more. Now, how do we get there? I started with the end of the movie. Like I said, it feels anticlimactic, but I think often you hear me preach and I'm trying to get you to the place where you could see that really cool thing happen. But God has already allowed some cool things to happen. And so I kind of wanted us to reverse it this way. There's a lot of people that you read in the Bible and cool things happen through them. And if you know the end of the story, if you meet Desmond Doss, he's the Medal of Honor recipient. We, we, we know about the heroes after the fact, but we don't stop and think about the, the Desmonds or, in the Bible, the Moseses or the Davids or whoever, the Esthers. We don't think about what it took for them to get to become these heroes of the faith or these heroes that get honor and glory afterwards, before they did those great deeds and before they were recognized by everybody for it, they, they had to build. They had to become the men and women that God wanted to use in those miraculous ways. And the reason that many of us haven't been used by God is because we haven't gone through what a lot of those people willingly walked through. I want to use the example of David this weekend. Many of you have heard of David. Some of you may not have. David is a famous character in the Old Testament who's mostly known for killing a giant named Goliath. It's the thing he's most known for, but uh, if you continue to study the Bible, he wrote a lot of what you read in the Old Testament, and he's revered through all of it afterwards. He's known as, as... Israel's most beloved king, in the New Testament, it records him as being the man after God's heart. He gets recorded in scripture as being the person who was the closest to God's heart. I mean, what what an amazing accomplishment. But he starts out not as a giant slayer, not as this great warrior, not as this awesome king, not not as even royalty. He starts out as a poor, lowly shepherd boy. He isn't even the biggest or coolest in his own family. Let alone in his tribe or let alone in his nation. This is what it says when it starts, when we really start to get to know David. It says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 17, one day Jesse, that's David's dad, said to David, Hey, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along. His brothers were off at battle. The, the enemy Philistines had come in to attack and to fight with the Israelites. And so the Israelites and the Philistines had made camp their armies opposite of each other on two hills overlooking a valley. And, and he was supposed to bring food to his brothers as they were camped there in this stalemate. Go and see how they're doing and bring back a report of how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left his sheep with another shepherd, and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. And soon the Israelite and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) What I want you to see, because if you've heard the story of David you've heard the part where he kills the giant. Today in sports, we use the phrase, it's a real David versus Goliath kind of moment because it was such a lopsided battle. This giant that was over nine feet tall, taking on what was considered a skinny little teenage boy. And the reason we have that is because David kills Goliath. (coughs) Excuse me. But do you know that David never gets to that battlefield to kill Goliath if he doesn't do what he's told to do on the lower stuff? If David isn't willing to be a servant and to go bring his older brothers cheese and crackers, he never becomes the hero. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, I'll be David. I'll slay some giants. If God will just give me a giant, I'll take it on. I'll do something amazing. Desmond Doss would never have gotten to the battlefield that he got to and had the convictions and had the courage that he had to do the amazing, miraculous things that he did if earlier in life he hadn't been willing to do the things that he needed to do to develop the character that God was trying to bring out of him. See, David never kills giants if he doesn't first serve. If he doesn't have the humility to go, you want me to be an errand boy? His dad doesn't say, hey, David, go grab that sword. Go kick some butt, buddy. I believe in you. I know you're skinny and nobody likes you and your brothers pick on you. But why don't you go show them? Go kill that giant. His dad's like, hey, don't screw this up. Here's some food. Get to your brothers and be nice to their captain so that he'll be nice to them. all so he's given us an errand, but he willingly does it. See what I've what I've found to be true in the life of all the heroes that we look to, modern day or ancient times, is that the choices that you make in peace are the ones that build the character that you need for the battle. A lot of you think that if you just come to church, uh, you know, eventually God's going to give you this big victory over this big giant in your life, and your giant might be different from everybody else's giant. Your giant might be a struggle you're having, or A goal that you're setting or a battle that you're waging in in some area but you're like well God just give it to me just give me that give me that I came to church it's not just about showing up to that battlefield it's about all the work that took going into it it's about all the things that it took to get there when David gets there he does get a chance to take on the giant and when he says he'll take on the giant everybody says he's stupid that he doesn't have the skill set to kill a giant. He's just a shepherd. This is what he says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, when he talks to the king about why he should be allowed to go out. He says, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this both times. To both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. See, we all in in the comfort of this moment sit and go, Yeah, I'll do the hard thing. I'll do the tough thing, I'll I'll do the heroic thing. And there's in the movie you see the guys that Desmond trains with, they're ready to go win medals they're going ready for all the glory. That's all they thought about. He just thought about serving and all they thought about was glory. And when, when the bullets started flying and the explosion started happening, a lot of them just hid because it's easy in the comfort of peace. It's easy when there's nothing happening bad to you to say how great you're going to do. But then all of a sudden when the battle starts, you don't have all that character to, to back up all the talk. You say how much you love God, but the second he gives you a chance to prove it, you cower. You talk about a love for your fellow man, but the first time it gets hard to forgive or hard to show grace, you just peace out on them. Well, they didn't do it for you, so why would you do it for them? You see, if you're not willing to build character right now when it's easy, it doesn't take much to show that you are not really all that you say you are. If you're not building character right now, when it's peaceful, when the battle comes, when the spiritual war rages, you're going to crumble under the pressure. It doesn't take much to scare you away from God. We've got brothers and sisters in Afghanistan being, having their doors kicked in and being taken out and executed in the streets, and yet they're willingly meeting and singing about Jesus. Jesus. And we won't come to church if we think it might be inconvenient for us. It doesn't take much to show where your character really is. You can say you love people, but what's it really take when God taps your heart and it's the person at work that you don't really like? You just turn that cold shoulder and go back to doing your thing. And you tell God you love him, but you don't really. See, Desmond had to go through a lot of things. For David, it was fighting lions and bears. The lions and bears are what gave him the confidence to stand up to a giant. But I don't think he ever stands up to a giant until he tackles lions and bears. For Desmond in the movie, he had a lot of people that doubted him. He had a lot of people who told him he was no good. David had to deal with that as well. Before David ever fights the giant, he just shows up at the battlefield and hears a giant run in his mouth. He's like, What's up with this? Is that are you guys just gonna let this giant talk crap? Like, are you gonna just let him bash us and make fun of God like that? People hear him talking, and some of the people that hear him talking are his own brothers. This is what it says in 1 Samuel 17 28. When David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. You would think he'd be proud of his little brother. Proud that somebody saw injustice, somebody saw wrong and stood up to it. No, because Eliab had already demonstrated his own cowardice. So when somebody that steps up and does the right thing shows you up, you're not proud of them, you're mad at them because they embarrass you. Yeah, see, that one hurts when you think about the people that you're mad at. It might be that they're exposing some of your own faults. And so Eliab gets mad at him. And he says, what are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those sheep? What about those few sheep? It's not bad enough he's making fun of them for being a shepherd, which is not a a very prestigious job. It was actually the job you gave your daughters, but since Jesse didn't have any daughters, he gave it to his youngest son. Not only does he it he's a shepherd, he's making fun that he doesn't have a lot of sheep. You're not even a good shepherd, bro. Those few sheep that you have, aren't you supposed to be taking care of them? I know why you're here. I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. You just came to to rubberneck on this whole ordeal. You're not even here to fight. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. Sometimes when you feel the call of God on your life, and many of you, I believe, already have or are currently feeling God tug on your heart for something, when you begin to feel that, not everybody will support you. Desmond found this out early on when he decided he wanted to go serve. His own dad, who had served in World War I, didn't even support him. Watch this. You see, a lot of times we think that the only wrestling we're going to have to do is with God. And a lot of times God puts something on your heart to go do. God will put something on you that he says, hey, I've got a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, we don't have the verse up, but it says that God claims, he goes, I know what plans I've got for you. I know the plans that I have for you. I've got a roadmap for your life. I've got some good stuff for you, but you just have to trust me. And the problem is we don't trust God. We trust ourselves. And if we can get to the place where we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, Desmond, Desmond has, to, has to get to the place where he's like, I don't want to carry a gun, but I, I still want to go into battle, and that's crazy, but God, I feel like you put that conviction on my life and on my heart, so I'm going to do it. And when he does it, even his own family members disagree with him. David had his brothers make fun of him. Joseph had his dad and brothers mock him. Nehemiah tries to build a wall and has opposition. He's just, they're just trying to do something good and people got to tear him down. What I want you to remember is I don't want you to expect that what man thinks of you will line up with what God wants for you. See, if you go into it with that expectation, God's got this for my life, so people are going to see this and validate. Some people won't. God might have put something on you, might have given you a talent or given you a burden or, or, or just tweaked your heart in a way and you say, there's a need there or there's an injustice there or there's a problem there or there's there's a need over there that I can fill. I, I want to do something. And you begin to share it because you get excited about it. And all you want is somebody to get excited with you. And what they do is tell you, no. What his dad said there, he goes, yeah, dad, I know it's going to be hard. Said, it won't be hard. It's impossible. See what's Impossible with man is totally possible with God. The Bible says nothing is impossible for God, but when we ask our friends or when some of our family even speaks into our life, they can't see that. That's why Hebrews 10.32 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. We got to hold firmly. So when God puts something on your heart, just because mankind, just because the people around you don't validate it or don't support it or don't encourage you, doesn't mean you give up on it. You hold firm to that because if God puts a calling on you, he's faithful and just to see that calling through you. And if you know, let's just let's flip the script. Maybe it's not some big job God's got for you. Maybe God is working in your heart and he says, I want you to step out of that depression. I want you to step away from your anger. I want you to give up that addiction. I want you to walk away from that hatred. I want you to begin to let go of all these things that have been pulling you away and pulling you down and causing you to be less of the man or the woman that I've created you to be. If God puts that on you and you know that he's got better for you and you know you're supposed to walk away from that and step towards him. You, you may not get the support. People may tell you that you can never achieve that, but if God says you can do it, then he says, I'll help you get there. And you have to find the faith in him, not in your fellow man. Now that doesn't mean that they won't think you're crazy. A lot of people, when Desmond said, I I will willingly go into battle. They said, well, you've got to be nuts. The army thought he was so nuts that they tried to get him booted out of the army on the charges of being psychologically unfit. Watch this interview. His own commanders thought he was insane. There's a testimonial at the end of the movie where one of his officers uh, commanding officer said, yeah, I was pretty hard on him and didn't want him. I told him I didn't want him in my unit. I didn't want him with us. And he ended up saving my life. I want you to understand something that when you step out, people won't support it. And sometimes they'll actually fight against you. Not only will they not pat you on the back and encourage you, they may actively try to keep you from doing what it is that God's called you to do. Here's what happens when David goes to to King Saul. David says, hey, listen, you seem to have a problem with finding any kind of soldiers, boss. Nobody seems to be willing to fight the giant. So in verse 32, he says, don't worry about the Philistine. I'll go fight him. You would think this is like, thank you. Somebody finally will go fight the giant. I'll go fight him. The reply he gets from his king is, don't be ridiculous. You're crazy, kid. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. Thanks for the pep talk, boss. I don't see anybody else stepping up to do the hard thing. You, I, you don't have to thank me, but how about you not kick me, okay? Hey, there's no way you could possibly win. Let me expound for you why I think that you're horrible. It's not like, oh, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to put any money on you. <laughs> you know, you're not a good bet. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, you're only a boy. Thanks for making me feel lower. And he's a man of war since his youth. He's got way more experience. Let's not even talk about the fact that he's four feet bigger than you. <laughs> you know, all the notches he has on his belt, you don't match up. 1 Samuel 17:38 says that after he talks Saul into letting him go fight, Saul then gives David his armor. It's a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on and he strapped the sword over and he took one step or two to see what it was like for he had never worn such things before. And he goes, I can't go in these, David said. He protests to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. When he finally gets his king to let him go to war, his king's like, well, you still can't go like you are. You're still not good enough. At no point does he ever get like a resounding, like, you're the man. Here's something I want to speak over you because I think some of you are struggling with this. I don't want you, I don't want you to think that, that all of the opposition that you face is somehow a reason to give up on God because even if God is not giving you People around you to pat you on the back, it doesn't mean that He isn't still for you. And so, the way I wrote it in my Bible is don't let man's no keep me from God's yes. I get a lot of no's, and a lot of times I know in my own heart, and maybe it's true for you, you've allowed the no's that you've heard from people no, you're not good enough. No, you're not smart enough. You're not experienced enough. How about this one? No, you're past disqualifies you. You, Your lack of experience or my lack of seeing anything worthy of you lets me know that you're not going to make it. You get all these no's from people and somehow you believe that that means that God is telling you no. And it's keeping you from the very thing that God wanted best for you. Desmond never becomes this amazing war hero if he listens to all the people that tell him he can't do anything. And if you don't think that you have Satan in your ear every day, whispering how you can't be the man or woman that God wants you to be, you're smoking crack. He hates you. He wants nothing good for you. You're in a spiritual warfare and he's sitting there telling you, you don't measure up, that you can't make it, that you can't do it. So when you get out of bed in the morning and you're thinking, do I give today to God? Do I trust God or do I do it in my own power? You've got him sitting there going, you can't trust God. You're not good. enough. You're going to ever make it. It's, never, it's not going to work. You better just go do what everybody else does. And you have to figure out. The, things, the people that are telling me no, does that actually mean that God doesn't want me to do it or do I still need to believe God's yes? See, James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation because afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, how do you get there? People telling you no, people telling you you're crazy. Not only did they try to kick him out of the army, try to say he was crazy, Section 8 him. That didn't work. So they they ordered him to pick up a gun. And he said, no, I'm not going to follow that order. I'll go into battle, but I'm not going to bear arms. And true story, the U.S. Army court-martialed Desmond Doss. They were so convinced that a person who wouldn't carry a gun would be of no value to them. I mean, you saw the end, right? He saved 75 guys. They give him the highest honor that they can bestow upon a soldier. But beforehand, they said, we, we will do everything we can to make sure you're not a part of our team. I just want you to understand, God's got something for your life. And the people around you may be the very the people that are pushing you down and hurting you and calling you names and standing in your way might be the very people God's called you to be a blessing to. You have to know what your job and purpose is if you're ever going to make it through the court martials if you're going to stand up to all of that. Samuel 17, 23 says, as David was talking with the soldiers, Goliath, the bad guy, the Philistine champion from Gath came out from the Philistine ranks. And David heard about this, heard him shout this, his usual taunts to the army of Israel. You have to go read earlier in the chapter where he just literally mocks God and spits on their beliefs, mocks their God, and praises his own God. For minute after minute after minute, he just goes on and on. He hears him do this again, and as soon as the Israelite army saw the giant, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant? The guys asked David. He comes out each day to divide Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the and man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. All right. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will the man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? You say, what? You get to marry a princess? And you don't have to pay taxes? Now, you know that later on when he marries that princess, he's like, baby, I did it just for you. (laughs) He doesn't even mention that he didn't have to pay taxes anymore. Anyways. He says, that's what they'll get. And then he goes, who is this pagan Philistine anyways? Why is he allowed to defy the armies of the living God? See, here's the thing. David was going to fight him no matter what. David's like, wait, I'm going to get a bonus for doing the right thing. (laughs) What? See, David knew that what the giant was doing was wrong. David knew that God wasn't happy with that. And before he ever even knew about the reward, David was like, who is this guy anyways? When you recognize what it is that God has for you, when you feel that, and many of you have already felt it and said no, and maybe this weekend is the the opportunity you have to finally say yes to God, but when you step into it, when you can know what it is you believe and why you believe it and what it is you've been called to do, it will give you not only the courage, but also the strength to stand up and go do it. When Desmond gets court martialed, they ask him the very question of why why are you doing this? I loved his answer. Watch this. It's powerful, isn't it? I watched that scene about 30 times. I was like, oh, it's so good. It speaks, it's like it speaks to today. Everybody's so intent. I'm burning everything down. Why isn't there somebody willing to stand in and go, no, you know what? (laughs) I want to build somebody up. It is not hard for me to right now go find 50 people I disagree with. And the world tells me that if I don't see eye to eye on every single, every single issue with somebody, I should hate them. And so if you look around, most people are just filled with hate towards everybody else. Because if you ask five questions, I guarantee you, somebody will disagree with you on at least one of them. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 41, David actually encounters the giant. And David walked out, and Goliath walks out toward him with his shield-bearer in front of him. And the Goliath, Goliath, the giant, sneering in contempt at this little ruddy-faced boy. That's a way of saying too young. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? Because David didn't bring a sword. He just brought a staff and a sling, what a shepherd would have. And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. You're going to find that a lot of times, the more you step into God's will, the more the enemy starts to yell and scream. Side note for you. It's not a point on my screen. David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. If you watch the rest of the court-martial scene, he, the, finally the, the officer in charge of give, uh, delivering the verdict of whether he's going to be allowed to go or not, he says, you know what? Private Doss, you, you are free to charge straight into hell without anything to defend yourself, if you want. See, they looked at it, and they said, man, if you ain't got a gun, you ain't going to make it. And Desmond said at one point, I've got my faith, and I got my Bible. I think I'm going to be okay. And so David here, did I say David in the last part? I meant Desmond, if I said David. David here says to the giant, Hey, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. So he's not quite like Desmond Doss. (laughs) And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with a sword and a spear. Not what everybody else thinks. The Lord will do this because it's the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. In the face of the greatest warrior that they had seen in that time, the most successful killer, the big dog of the Philistines who towered nine feet plus inches tall, standing over a short little skinny shepherd boy, everybody says, that guy's going to win. And David says, my God tilts the scales in my favor every time. My favor every single time. If you have a purpose, if you know your mission, when you can know what it is that God's called you to do, You can have the boldness to stand up to giants. You can have the courage to run back into a battlefield when everybody else retreats. You can be the person at your workplace that actually has a testimony for Jesus. You can overcome the very addiction that you've given into for year after year after year after year. I don't I can't say every single thing, so you have to just lean in and hear that God is telling you that the thing that you're most afraid that you can't do is the very thing that God is telling you to do. But I don't know. Is that going to happen? When should that happen? Hey, right now is the time. This is the place, and you are the person that God is trying to get to go do something big. This. Don't, Don't be like, oh, one day, years from now, If I've got enough training, if I read my Bible enough, if I get my life together, then maybe God will give me something. No, if you're breathing, he's got a plan for you. You need to start living into that plan. And right now is the time that you need to do that. Right now, right here, you are that person. I'm not preaching to the person beside you. I'm not talking to the other person that you're thinking about might need a message like this. I'm talking to you and I'm... I'm, I'm believing that the Holy Spirit wants you to step into God's best for your life. And I believe everything in this world, in your past, in your flesh, in, the, in everything that the devil whispers to you day in and day out is doing everything it can to keep you held back from taking that next step. And I'm telling you that if you will, it will not only change your life, but it will change the life of the people that watch you do it. Here's why I need you to hear me. I need you to hear this and I'm done. I'm going to show you a clip. And he says one of the coolest things I've ever, I've ever heard somebody say. He talks about his commanding officer, the one who didn't want him even to go with them. Talks about what Desmond's actions have done for the rest of the men. And it rings so true for what God wants to do through you because I believe so fervently that your life is a light that shines into the darkness. You don't know how many eyes are out there in the darkness watching you, but the brighter you shine, the more you display for them. Watch this clip and we'll close. Hey, they don't, they don't believe like you believe, Doss but they believe so much in what you believe and how it is that you believe that they just want a piece of that. Man, I love that. Hey, they're not like you, but they believe in the fact that you believe. They see your belief and they know that that's real. And they want a piece of that. They don't have it for themselves yet, but they can look at you and see a person of conviction. They can look at you and see... There's something different, and they want a piece of that. So much so that the people that made fun of it earlier won't go back into battle without it later. When God's purpose is real for you, people will begin to wonder if it's possible for them. But that's only when it's real for you. Some of the people in your family, some of the people in your life, some of the people that God has for you to impact, they are never going to wonder if it's possible for them. Because they look at you and there's nothing different from you from everybody else. But when you start being different, when you look different, and you act different, and you talk different, And you respond to pressure different. And you show grace differently. And you don't don't worship the things they worship. And you don't value what they value. And you don't allow your life to become consumed like they allow their life to become consumed with all that stuff. When you have a singular focus and that brings power in life, then they're going to start to want to know. A lot of you are like, I've heard this message, Pastor. I'll go tell people. I'll put it all over Facebook. They need to get their life together. They need Jesus. I tell people all the time they need Jesus. Yeah, what about your life inspires them to want to check out your Jesus? If they're not buying into what you're saying, then maybe you're not living it out in a way that makes them think that there's something there for them. Because talk is cheap. You know the old saying: Nobody wants to know. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I said it backwards. Sorry. Nobody know. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. We we get so wrapped up in trying to tell everybody everything they need to they need to do, we haven't demonstrated any love for them. Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two say. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Imitate God. Model your life after God. Talk like Jesus talked. Love people the way Jesus loved them. Imitate God in everything you do because you're his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us so much that he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma, a... smell and incense is speaking to this idea that everything about him just kind of filled the room everything about Jesus how he was just drew people in that's who you're supposed to imitate John Wesley once famously said or at least it's attributed to him if you catch on fire people will come to watch you burn there's something that captivates people when they see somebody have something real in their life. I'm not saying that for some of you, God hasn't been real, but He hasn't been shining through you. So maybe your kids, or maybe your parents, or maybe it's your spouse, or your siblings, or your coworker, your boss, your next door neighbor. Maybe they're just waiting to see something shine through you so they can come ask you what it is that you've got in you. I love the story of Desmond Doss because it reminds us that all of us, when we put our faith in the right place, can accomplish amazing, incredible things. I can only imagine what it is that God has for you. I can only dream of what God could do through a few people in this room that get totally devoted to him, get excited about saying yes. Where everybody else says no, they said, yeah, I'll do it. Can I pray that over you? Can I ask God to do that in your life right now? If you would, would you take a stand? Just step up, stand up. Right where you're at, let me pray over top of all of you. Let Let me just say out loud what it is I'd like to see God do in your life. But as I pray out loud, why don't you pray quietly right where you're at? Ask God to do a work in your heart. As I pray, you pray. Maybe to invite Jesus in for the very first time and actually start a real relationship with him. Not a head knowledge, but an actual step to invite him into your heart. Experience true power, true life change, true forgiveness. Get some real hope for a change. Start there. And if you have Jesus Christ in your life, if you've already invited him in, then as I pray, why don't you say, God, Give me some yeses. Give me the strength to say yes to you. Give me the courage to step into the things that you're telling me you have for me. God, speak to my heart. Give me some things to do that would please you. And if it scares me, give me the strength to go forward anyways. As I pray, you pray. Dearly Father, Lord God, we come before you. And God, I ask that you would bless every person under the sound of my voice. Jesus, we need you. So much more than we need ourselves, so much more than we need anything the world offers, we need you, Jesus. God, I pray for the person who needs you right now for the very first time. God, I pray for the person who right now in this moment needs to accept you as their Lord and Savior. I pray they would do that. God, I pray for the people that call you their father, the people that have already put their faith in Jesus. God, I pray they would start living like it. I pray we would be imitators of Christ and not the world, that we would start to model ourselves after what you did, not what everybody around us is doing. God, I pray for the person who's discouraged right now. They think they need help from the world. They think they need compliments from the people around them. They think they need to be built up by friends or co-workers or society, but what they need is you, Jesus. God, help me and help every single one of us to trust you more, to be on fire for you, to go forward where you tell us to go, to boldly tackle the giants that scare everyone else, to to have the faith to proclaim that the victory is yours. God, I pray we would lean into that today. I pray we would claim you and hold tight to you. God, I pray that we would love you more than we've ever loved you. That we would leave this message changed. That we would be better fathers and better mothers, better husbands and better wives, better sons and better daughters. God, I pray that we'd be a better brother or a better sister. That we'd be a better friend, a better neighbor, better teammate, a better classmate and a better co-worker. God, I pray that we would have that not through our own power, but through yours. As we say yes to you, would you change the lives of the people around us? God, we need you. Our families need you. Our neighborhoods need you. God, we know that this world needs you, Jesus. Help us remember that and proclaim it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.